Here we are, the new Locked On NFL. Alongside the scout, Matt Williamson, I am Brian Peacock, taking you around the league on the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to this show on all of your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, we're everywhere. And you can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. And since this is a Thursday, we're joined by the Athletics Mike Sando. Mike, Matt, how you fellas doing today? I'm great. great. How about you, Sando? How you doing, dude? You're yeah, still I'm traveling. Doing well, yeah. I'm a little road weary, but uh, I, I love it. Love what I get to do. Yeah, good stuff. What city are you in at this point? I am at the Jets facility right now in Florham Park, New Jersey. Do you think they're going to be, If just a quick question for you, if, if they go to two preseason games, do you think that they go more joint practices? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny, Matt. I was doing some research for a different story I'm working on, and I was reading a player. And back in the day, many years ago, they played six preseason games, you know, if you go back yeah. 30, wow. 40 years, right? So um, I was I was reading something a player said back in the 80s, and he was like, you know, we should really just do some more joint practices and maybe play two preseason games. And here we are. That's like a new <laughs> idea. And that's what, that's what seemed to make sense even back then. So um What's interesting is the coaches seem to really like the joint practices. The players, um, a lot of them don't, um, but they don't because they have, in addition to the preseason games, and I think they feel like uh, they're having to play even more games because you have to be more on your toes and prepare more when you're, when you're practicing against guys from other teams. So I think that would be a nice compromise to get rid of some preseason games, add some joint practices, which, by the way, in the joint practice, you can stop and correct them. You can teach. You don't have some silly, uh, you know, rookie protection mistake leading to your quarterback getting drilled. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. And the other thing they can do is you don't know if you'll get this in the game, but you could be like, let's do 10 snaps of goal line. Let's yep. do third and longs, you know, and we're going to do them over and over. And as opposed to, oh, they converted it's first and 10. No, do it again. It's still third and eight. You know I mean? So it can be a lot more situational. That's what I like about it. To me, that's very easy of it. Yes, yeah. it's way more smart, and, and it's actually preparing you for the season. And coaches will love it because they get to coach. And players should like it if they're not having to play so many preseason games, although some veteran players are hardly even playing in those preseason games. So this might actually be more work for them to have joint practices. <laughs> yeah, and we're seeing fewer and fewer veterans playing in these games. And even in the second and third games where usually the veterans did get a lot of work, even now we're seeing a bunch of guys getting sat and I think the contact is is one of the big things and I know uh for the 49ers Kyle Shanahan has talked about how he hates the preseason games and he thinks maybe two max is plenty and you knock the rust off with one and then you uh, get back to work at the second one and then let the young guys play the rest of the way but then you watch Jimmy Garoppolo and it's like well shoot well maybe he should play a little bit more in that fourth preseason game because is he going to be ready for the season in another half and so there's really a fine line there and getting guys ready and seeing live bullets and knowing they can actually get hit because in all of the practices before this, someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, who's a little bit rusty, who hasn't played in almost a year, could not be touched. And so I think mentally there's a switch that needs to be flipped there. So you do need some real live reps against a real team with a real clock. But the question is how much. And I think most people agree two is plenty. Oh, yeah. And you don't want to put Jimmy Garoppolo out there in the fourth game with no blocking and you know have some yes. guy trying to be a hero run into his legs. Their, their last ditch effort to make a team, and they're just going, they have nothing to lose, right? After hurting people. 
Right, so if you have your quarterback out there, you have to have your entire starting offensive line. You probably want to have his best targets out there. So he's comfortable, so then you're basically starting everybody again. So, yeah, it's either all or nothing at that point in, in, in week four. Well, there's some big news out of the Cowboys camp, and they have re-signed a player, and it was not the player they expected, linebacker Jalen Smith, and it's a great story. They have extended him a five-year contract, $64 million. That'll take him through the year 2023, and that deal reportedly includes a little over $35 million in guaranteed money. Great story. It's awesome to see Jalen Smith back, but not exactly the contract we all expected. No, but I think what happens is, um, this reminds me on a little bit lesser level. Remember when the Rams had Aaron Donald uh, holding out and it was getting to be a little bit tense? Remember that a couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah. What did they do? They went out and signed Todd Gurley, right? They showed their locker room. They'll take care of their guys. And in this case, it felt like the clock was ticking a little bit with no progress on the on the Cowboy front, and Jerry Jones made a public comment that did not sit well with Zeke, you know, Zeke who. Um, and so now you take care of one of the great stories, perseverance, human interest stories, uh, comebacks in your locker room, and show that, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a move of goodwill almost, it seems like to me. Mm. Um, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I didn't think of it from that angle. I thought, boy, you know, Jalen Smith's up after this year. What a great success story. You know, I mean, they took a gamble on him in the early second round when he was a early first round value, but obviously had, you know, career injury concerns at that point. And I kept watching him go back and I'm like, boy, he's, I, I, there was a stretch there. I thought he was a little overrated. Like everyone just assumed boom, boom, he was back. But there was about a year or so ago, like, yeah, he looks good, but he doesn't change directions. Great. He's good in a straight line. Will he ever? And then this past year, he does, you know, and you got to remember that defense is very Seattle like, you know, I mean, it was Chris Richard's running it now. Um, and I think they look at Vander Esch and Smith as Wagner and KJ Wright with, with Vander Esch is more of the can walk down on the line of scrimmage, play man against tight ends. He's more the KJ Wright type. So we know that Bobby Wagner, Deion Jones, uh, the, the two good linebackers in Jacksonville have always quarterbacked this style of defense. And I think that's Smith more than Vander Esch. So it adds up a lot to me. And then when you said it, it makes perfect sense too. Like let's put some goodwill in the locker room. It's not like we're a bunch of cheap skates here. You know, I mean, we're going to pay the good dudes and Smith is a good dude, but now they got three, the triplets are all still looming. Yep. Absolutely. The, the, the other thing about this, I mean, I, you know, that injury was so, was such a big deal. I mean, I mm-hmm. just, and, and for a while there, man, game like too. for a year or two, I wasn't sure he was going to make it. You know what I mean? This is a long-term starter. It was kind of one of those good stories. So awesome that he's been able to come back. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it looked like maybe his career was in doubt and it wasn't rebounding like he thought, even after, you know, the, he had hit ben- benchmarks with the actual knee healing and, and the foot wasn't working right then. And then the other thing is he was a big factor in, I think, a lot of other people maybe not wanting to play in their college bowl games, too. So there's a, a there's even it's more of an impact that that injury had. Uh, yep, yep, it, it is, yep. I mean, a terrible thing, but it was a bit of a trendsetter. You know, then guys like McCaffrey are like, I'm not going to play in my bowl game. I mean, that's the worst time ever to get injured. It takes forever to reheal. You know, amazing. Good for him, but Dallas has a lot of juggling to do. They absolutely do. Uh, I actually have one more question I want to run by you guys with 
the comments that Jerry Jones made. We've got to take a break first, then we'll get back into that, get into some Browns comments. Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield seem to always be in the news. And then we'll talk to Mike about his travels around training camps in the NFL. Folks, it is a new season. Antonio Brown's with the Raiders. Lev Bell is with the Jets. Odell Beckham is a Brownie. The only thing that hasn't changed where I'm putting my mount is where I'm putting my money down on all the games. My bookie is the only place to bet on football every weekend. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs 100 bucks to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. So, folks, I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me, and absolutely my bookie fits that mold. That's why my bookie is always the right place to play. You bet, you win, they pay. My bookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business for you and your fantasy guys out there. You can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. I love that feature, by the way. So, up to a $1,000 first deposit bonus. You double your first deposit. Use our promo code Locked On to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use our promo code Locked On when creating your your claim when you're creating your account to claim the bonus. Again, that's Locked On. Two words: Locked On. Bet, win, get paid. Okay, I want to run this by you guys and my view of what Jerry Jones said. And I'm always the guy that's going to be on the player's side more so than the owner's side. But I thought the whole Zeke who joke was a great joke. The only reason it's funny is because it's so ridiculous that this rookie running back could even possibly replace Zeke. That's the only reason it's funny. It's the only reason it's, it's a good joke. And I have a feeling it didn't affect Zeke as much as maybe the agent was like jumping on the opportunity to be like, let's put out a statement. This this can't stand. We got to use this as a negotiating ploy or something <laughs> yeah. like that, because I thought it was a good joke. So props yeah, to Jerry dude. for for making me chuckle a little bit. Here's the deal, though. To Jerry Jones, this is another negotiation, one of thousands he's been involved in over a 30-year ownership of the team and even more than that in his business life. And to Zeke Elliott, this is everything. This is extremely personal for him. So um, I think you have to take that into account. You know, Zeke Elliott's a highly competitive um, guy who's not happy right now. And Jerry's just Another day of ownership. It's great to be owning the Cowboys. We'll get this done. I'm not worried about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's always with that man. You know, right? It's always personal for the player. Yeah, and the other that, that's a really good point. The other and, aspect of it is yeah. the it's, it's the it's the collective bargaining agreement that really the players have more of an issue with because the teams have to run a business and the players that are still under contract they're you know that's is this this is early for Zeke to be. You know, from the from the Cowboys' perspective, that this isn't a time that it has to be done. So it takes a little bit of goodwill for the Cowboys to say, okay, we'll come to you. We'll give you this deal. We'll give you this deal earlier than we have to because there's so many avenues for a team to hold on to a player, especially running backs, those first-round running backs with four years plus the fifth-year option plus potential franchise tags. Something's really got to change there. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how motivated the players are to do it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's strange because the, the running backs really do get shortchanged with the collective bargaining agreement because by the time they come up, they're a little bit washed out, you know, washed up already. Um, but I don't know how you do it positionally. You know, like people have talked about, well, we should have our own salaries for quarterbacks. Well, we should have our own, you know, running backs should only get two years or three years instead of four. I don't know that you can, in a, in a world where positionless football is becoming more and more prevalent, not quarterbacks, but what's Theo Riddick? You know, what's James, you know, what are these receiving backs? Uh, I don't know how you diversify by position for any kind of um, collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, and, it's and the last thing of- I want to throw at Brian was, I, I thought you were right. You know, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was like when Ra- Rex Ryan was walking around door- on hard knocks going, Revis, where's Revis? You know, like, I didn't think he meant anything by it with Zeke. Yeah, just having a little bit of fun. And you mentioned mm-hmm. the position-specific dollars, and there's different money for different franchise tags, and Clowney's kind of going through the same thing. He's like outside linebacker, defensive tackle, defensive end. He can line up in so many different spots, and, of course, the team wants to pay him at the cheapest spot, and he wants to make that defensive end money. And so it just makes things more convoluted. So that's uh, there's just a lot of hoops and a lot of, a lot of things to jump through in negotiations here for players. And then there's the salary cap on top of it, which seems to grow so much that it almost doesn't even – matter at this point and then there's teams rolling over money from one year to the next so they're thinking well why do we even have to spend up to the cap if we can actually get the savings from this year's cap so they're not spending extra money that would that would go away so I think the rollover is another thing that hurts actually the players because teams don't have to the, the they don't lose the entirety of their money that they don't spend up to the cap so the competitive teams even could say oh well we don't want to spend up to the cap because we can just roll over these savings so we're not going to throw away money either. Odell Beckham had some comments about the New York Giants, his former team, and you know there's some you know some personal feelings there. And then Baker Mayfield, this came out from something he had said in April about Daniel Jones, and he kind of ripped the Giants, saying that they made a bad choice in in drafting Daniel Jones, and that it's all about winning and all this stuff. And then today, Baker Mayfield kind of walks back on those comments, said they were out of context, and he said he was even surprised that the Browns took him number one overall. So. Is this the media making too much because of Baker Mayfield being a brash player? Is this Baker Mayfield walking back something that he shouldn't have said in the first place? And my question is, with all the personalities in Cleveland and Baker Mayfield, is he is he a front runner? How are things going to look? Because right now things are going pretty well in the life of Baker Mayfield. How are things going to go if maybe the Browns start piling up some losses? Is he going to be a leader of men or is he just going to be like an eternal frat boy? <laughs> well, I think he can play football pretty well. And I think that's going to be the thing that determines how he's mm-hmm. perceived. Uh, ultimately, I have no idea if in the interview with GQ, he was joking around. It was taken out of context, um, you know, or, or what. It didn't seem like in the story itself that it wasn't like the GQ was playing up this huge angle that he took a shot at Daniel Jones. Um, I can certainly see why he would want to um, walk it back, but, I think he's just one of those guys who, um, you know, not to the level of Odell, but almost anything he does and says is a, is a story. You know, he's not quite Tebow that way, but he's, uh, whatever he says is going to be notable. And I don't think he also cares that much um, so far about how he's, um, you know, perceived when he makes a, a comment that, that could be seen as fresh in this case, though, where it's, perceived to take a shot at one of his peers. I mean, I think he, you know, showed that at least in that area, um, he doesn't want that. And and maybe it does give some credence to him that that's not what he was trying to convey. 
Yeah, it's funny because right when I heard it, I, I immediately kind of, rarely do the player comments ever bother me or do I care because a lot of them are taken out of context. You're reading them. You're not listening to exactly what they say sometimes. But I immediately thought, like, who are you to criticize this poor quarterback who is a six-pick overall? I mean, are you a scout? Do you know how good this guy is? Do you have any clue? I mean, a lot of people, including myself, would not have taken Jones with that pick from what I knew, and I was critical of him. But, I mean, I'm not. that's kind of my job. You know, like, I mean, a lot of people were critical when the Browns took Mayfield, and that's working out. But I just thought immediately, like, man, I mean, why, what's there to gain by saying that, first of all, even if you do know him back and forth and – have a strong opinion and why would you be smarter than that be a better leader be smarter than that so I did like that he retracted it and my other thoughts on Mayfield like when he was coming out when this was one year ago I worried a lot and I don't know him I don't have secondhand information I'm just like everybody else you know watching him from afar that yeah your style of leadership your personality worked extremely well at the college level but when you get to the pros and that 31-year-old guard who's got $12 million in the bank and four kids and a mortgage and a wife, and does he want to hear your nonsense? You know, it's like, is he going to respond to you? And it seems like they do. I mean, by all accounts, teammates love Baker no matter what. Yep, and I think they, like I said, if, if he plays well, I mean, that's all that's that going to ultimately matter. You know, I think there's a lot of excitement around that. People who watch him, probably who play with him, um, think that he's going to be a good quarterback. So you're going to live with, uh, I, I think this is the nature of the Browns team, the way they've been put together with Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield. I mean, they've embraced the sort of the headlines, the sizzle, you know, and this is going to be part of it then that people are going to overreact or react to every little thing that your quarterback says. And, and they don't have a lot of guys like I described either. There's not a Joe Thomas there anymore. They're a young team. Yep, and it's a very Dorsey roster where he tends to be the GM that looks solely at talent and sort of turns a blind eye or just doesn't put a lot of credence into some other stuff and some off-field off stuff. And so when you start to put a lot of those players together and you can get a better deal, say, on draft day by drafting someone that might have some whispers of some character flaws or something, you can get them later in the draft. And for Dorsey, he's like, I see the talent there. I'm going to take that, you know, I'm going to take that built-in discount and draft that player for sure and so you put a bunch of those guys in the same locker room without Joe Thomas's of the world so it's it's really interesting I think that team is definitely not going to to leave the headlines anytime soon and it's fun to watch and one crazy thing about how Dorsey has built the Browns and I think uh you know Sashi Brown and that it's going to be interesting how history looks at the regime right before Dorsey came in and I think that they're probably going to get a lot more credit than most people gave them at the time when they were still losing but they were really you know, fixing the cap and, and just hauling in draft picks. But it's interesting the Browns had, they, it looks like they got their franchise quarterback in Baker Mayfield, but it's so hard for teams to draft quarterbacks and have the opportunity to get their franchise quarterbacks. And they had three franchise quarterbacks potentially in a row. They passed on Wentz. They had the opportunity for Deshaun Watson, traded down then again, and then still the third year had another opportunity to take a franchise quarterback and it's pretty amazing with most teams not ever having the opportunity to get that guy. They had it three years in a row. Yep. And, you know, you can say that what you inherited, you know, the picks and all that uh, helped set it up. But you still got to pick the players. And that's the hardest thing to do. And so 
give I'll give Dorsey some credit there. And it wasn't like everybody was saying, now we'll see how Mayfield's career plays out. But it wasn't like before that draft, everyone was like, you got to take Mayfield. That, that wasn't the top of people's mock drafts, was it, Matt? I mean, people weren't talking about no. it. It, was, it. It wasn't necessarily out of left field, but it, people weren't talking about it. So you got to give them credit if indeed he is as good as he looks like he's going to be for actually picking the right players. And that was something the previous regime didn't do well enough. No, you're 100% right. I mean, in some ways, I give Sashi the assist, though. I mean, I would have loved to have been a GM with three first-round picks, $100 million in cap space, or, you know, like I talked about the Jaguars there for a while. They picked in the top six, like six years in a row, and then had the most cap space in the you know that one offseason. I mean, I think a lot of people could build good teams, but you're 100% right. And take it a step further in that Mayfield draft. Remember, they took Baker at one, and then Ward at four, I think, you know, yep. ahead of Chubb, I mean, ahead of some other dudes. And a lot of people, you know, the I'm not saying it was Todd and Mel, but those type of guys were like, you just took two little players at their respective positions, and both are hits. Yep, good good for them so far. Now, how's it all going to work together? And by the way, Freddie Kitchens, their head coach, seems to be one of those guys who uh, isn't afraid to say what's on his mind either, you know? So <laughs> I think there's <laughs> We haven't seen the last of the headlines out of Cleveland. All right, let's look at a few other teams that Mike has been traveling around to when we come back. Mike Sando joining us here on Locked On NFL. Mike, what exactly has been your focus as you've traveled around to NFL camps this summer? Well, first off, you, you know, you get a chance, you do get a chance to go out to practice and you get a chance to, to see the players, which just the eyeball test and just like, for example, this offseason we've read stories about uh, Josh Allen of the Bills and comparisons to Cam Newton. Well, I, when I stand there next to each guy, there's not any comparison physically at all. <laughs> I mean, Josh Allen's a big guy, but Cam Newton's in a whole nother <laughs> type of big guy, right? So those types of, uh, you know, just seeing guys, not, not necessarily for the first time, but with, with different, um, you know, motivations in mind is helpful. So, uh, yesterday I was out at the Eagles Ravens practice, uh, and that was great to just be able to see guys, um, see how Wentz is going around. Um, you know, noticing he didn't seem to be scrambling as much, you know, as, as we're used to seeing. So I think that's something to really watch with him if he's modifying his play. Uh, but for me, mostly, uh, the chance to go around to teams, the chance to connect with coaches and front office people that I know or want to get to know, build relationships so that when it comes time to, you know, trying to analyze teams and what's going on during the um, season that my network of people that I speak to is robust and trusted. And, and uh, that's really what this opportunity allows for me outside of the season where, you know, in the season, everyone's just so dang busy that it's hard to get around and build those relationships. Mike, I want to ask you one thing about these three quarterbacks is I know you're not scouting them. You're not looking at their footwork or charting their passes or anything, but I'm wondering what the vibe is around these three teams. I mean, Wentz, I always say I'm smitten with him. Like besides Mahomes, he might be my pick for who I want from now until eternity. Jackson, I've been kind of in his corner and I've been saying, I think he's a better passer than he showed. And I wonder if they think the same, like maybe they're not going to be so, 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 so run heavy and they're holding it back. Like, Hey, Lamar can complete passes, you know, and Darnold to me is kind of one of the new darlings. Like I'm not saying he's quite, I'm smitten with him like I am Wentz, but I, it wouldn't shock me at all. If a year from now we're like, 
yeah, Sam Darnold's a top 10 type quarterback, and I'd love to build my yeah. team around that guy. Yes. So I was, it's funny. I was just talking to one of the writers about Darnold here uh, at Jets camp and uh, you know, you, you come in to, to a place like this and beforehand I will, you know, read the, what all the writers are writing and coverage. And I mean, Darnold can do no wrong. this summer. Really? You know, I mean, it's just, uh, and, and I'm not saying he's not having a great off season, but when you, you sort of get a narrative sometimes where, look, we saw some really good things from Darnold um, late last season uh, there's a new head coach who's coming in with an offensive background. And so uh, people are, you know, looking at, uh, wow, what are the possibilities? You got Le'Veon Bell, which I think went from being kind of a, uh, you know, a somewhat of a negative story early when people were wondering if Gase was on board and all that to, wow, the possibility. So everyone is asking about the possibilities of Donald, the possibilities of this. And, you know, if, if, he was coming off of a bad season and they hadn't changed coaches. Uh, people would be charting every incomplete pass that he's throwing. Right. So I do feel the optimism is warranted, but I think it's also optimism unchecked and in, in the absence of the actual game. So I think I am, I am optimistic. I, I sort of want to see it get to the regular season, see basically with him if, if the turnovers go down. I mean, I think that's the number one thing that could hold him back. And, uh, Overall, though, you watch him at practice, you see a lot of good throws, and I think he's somebody teammates respond to, and, and there's there's definitely real excitement. But he walks on water a little bit right now, huh? A little bit, yeah, he does. Yeah. And that's just natural this time. That, that's natural in this cycle of the new coach and the, and the possibilities of what can be. And, and he has looked good. I'm, I'm not saying he hasn't looked good. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me how young that rookie class of quarterbacks was. Baker Mayfield is two years older than Lamar Jackson, and Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold, all three were true juniors. And so that that two years is huge because those guys would all still be going back to school and playing one more year if they came out as 23-year-old quarterbacks. So there's got to be a little bit more time baked into the development there. And there was a really interesting article about, and I don't know what you got from the vibe from the uh, the joint practices there with the, the Ravens and the Eagles, but there was an article from Warren Sharp, who put out, so he does really great football analysis, and he he was talking about Lamar Jackson just as a pure passer, as a rookie, and how good his season was, and people aren't giving him the credit he deserved there. There mm-hmm. was, uh, he so basically he was better than 23-year-old rookie Joe Flacco. He had a higher yards per attempt and a better passer rating in his rookie season with quarterbacks of at least 150 attempts than basically since Peyton Manning, better than Andrew Luck, better than Goff, better than Sam Bradford, Carson Palmer, Carson Wentz, Trubisky, Sam Darnold. So uh, very interesting there. And I'm wondering what the vibe is around Lamar Jackson. Well, they're obviously all in with him and excited to have him. They think he's going to grow and develop and he's got the right, you know, he's got the right attitude. I think his makeup is good and obviously amazingly athletic and probably is underrated for his ability to throw the ball, which is normal when you have somebody who's great in a, in a you know, if you're a great runner, you, you may not be, you, your passing may be underrated. Now, what I would say is in his starts this season, he threw between 19 and 25 passes in each one of those games. And he completed sixty percent or more twice. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't. When you start, what do you start? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven games. Yeah. And what did he throw? How many touchdown passes? Not many. Five. Five. Yeah, right, right. So, you know, I, I would just say this: don't be overly critical of him. I'm sure Warren Sharp's done his research, and 
that some of the numbers are better than you might anticipate, but um, I don't think that, I think the question still remains with, to me is how, is their defense going to be good enough to play the style where you don't have to win as a passer and, you know, put up a ton of points that way? Are they going to be able to turn it over and do those sorts of things? Yeah, I, it, Warren does awesome work. I can't wait to go read that. That must have just came out because I usually check that stuff pretty pretty often. But I, I mentioned, I mean, I, I went back and watched Jackson since the season because I was disappointed because he was my number one quarterback coming out. And I'm like, boy, he threw the ball better at Louisville than he did with the Ravens. And on second viewing, I do think he threw the ball better than I thought, certainly better than the public thought. But one of the things that hurts him in public perception, too, are his misses are ugly. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, like a, he misses some layups. He does, but I think we also have to realize that he he went in midstream in the in the middle of the year and is probably a you know a developmental prospect to some degree for adjusting. And I think they're going to be better and better prepared for him to play his style this year. And I think he'll grow. I think he will be better. And and uh, you know we should keep an open mind. It's a fascinating class of quarterbacks there, and uh, I, I'm going to be really excited to watch those second year guys and see how everybody develops there because you know they're all not going to hit. We're out of time here, but uh, Mike, always a pleasure. And appreciate the time you give us every week here. Don't forget to find Mike on Twitter at SandoNFL and read all of his stuff over at The Athletic. Mike, thanks again. Thank you. For Matt Williamson, I am Brian Peacock. Thanks for listening. Be back tomorrow. We're going to break down the wide receiver position on another Fantasy Friday and any other news around the NFL. Talk to you then right here, Locked on NFL.